Hello and welcome to the second series of Cancer Talk, the podcast that explores the benefits of integrative oncology, an approach that brings together standard oncology practice with a raft of lifestyle and complementary approaches in order to provide broader, more holistic care to improve quality of life and outcomes for people with cancer. I'm Robin Daly, founder of Yes to Life, the UK's integrative cancer care charity. I'm one of the hosts for the podcast. Series one of Cancer Talk was aimed at initiating conversations about integrative oncology and bridging the gap between mainstream and integrative medicine practitioners. And the series one episodes are still available from yestolife.org.uk forward slash podcasts and major podcast platforms. Hello, I'm Dr. Pendia Hayoglu. I'm an NHS clinical oncologist and co-host for the podcast. And in addition to treating patients with all the regular modalities in use within healthcare, I have a passion for integrating evidence-supported lifestyle and complementary medicine into patient protocols. I've witnessed firsthand the enormous benefits this can deliver to patients and their carers. So in series two of the podcast, we are planning focused conversations with healthcare professionals, working directly with people with cancer and applying integrative oncology in contemporary clinical practice with the aim of strengthening the clinical voice and evidence for integration, influencing the wider community, including academia and research, and beating the case for an integrated UK model of care. this new series of Cancer Talk. Hi, Robin. Great to be back at the Cancer Talk. Very excited to be here today with an amazing guest to start off the new series. Yes, we are starting the new series with an amazing individual and colleague. Right. So Dr. Lucy Gossage, she's a clinical oncology consultant at Nottingham University Hospitals Trust and uh, a former triathlete and duathlete trained as a doctor in Cambridge and has completed a PhD in renal cancer. So as an athlete, uh, Lucy has completed an Ironman triathlon event, uh, twice duathlon champion and won multiple, I think it's, is it 12 Ironman triathlon events? <laughs> An extraordinary number. Anyway, uh, a huge welcome to you, Lucy. Thanks so much for coming and joining us today. Oh, thanks very much for having me on. Great. So, um, as we said, it's a great honour to have you open up this new series of Cancer Talk. Uh, you're clearly somebody rather unique. You combine these two full-time jobs, which requires a lot of dedication and perseverance. So I wonder if you'd just tell us a bit about your journey in athletics and in medicine, and, and why do you choose oncology as a speciality? Oh, oh gosh. So where shall I start? Um, I'll, I'll start about why, why I choose oncology. Um I remember when I'd done my kind of junior doctor years, so junior house officer and SHO, thinking about what specialty I want might want to specialise in. And I, at the time, I didn't know, but I looked back and every single patient that had stood out to me had had, had cancer. And I think that was when I realised I really liked working with people with cancer. Um, and yeah, that's that's kind of what led, led into my career with oncology. Um, I absolutely love it. People always ask me, I, I'm sure they say the same to you, Penny, you know, 
isn't it depressing working in oncology and I work with a lot of young people um but I it's sad sometimes but it's so life affirming we see people at the strongest and um I yeah I I love being a doctor not always easy but um I I I love the specialty um triathlon golly that (laughs) started as a drunken dare um after a (laughs) A long-term relationship had ended, so (laughs) I, um, yeah, I was an SHO, um, I was like most junior doctors, working hard, playing hard, um, had put on a bit of weight, so signed up to the London Triathlon as a, as a challenge, the way that people sign up to a half marathon or something, um, and then a week after that, the, the boyfriend I was with moved out, um, and I met some friends who told me about this Ironman, I was, you know, that's bonkers, that's impossible. Um, had a few drinks, not sure if I should be saying this on a medical podcast, but I had a few drinks in a nightclub. Said if I'm single on New Year's Day, I'm going to sign up to an Ironman. New Year's Eve, I met a guy who'd done this thing called an Ironman. An Ironman's a, a two and a half mile swim, a 112 mile bike ride, and then a marathon. So it is bonkers. It is bonkers. Um, <laughs> he said it was amazing. And I went to the gym and said if I can run a half marathon on the treadmill, I'll sign up to this Ironman thing. Um, so press go on the treadmill, <laughs> fell off however many hours later. Um, I went home and signed up. Um, so that's how it started. I'd never had any um, any kind of plans to do it seriously. I wasn't particularly athletic or sporty at university or as a kid. Um, but I ended up getting quite good um, when I felt a bit lost during my PhD. And so had quite a lot of time as a professional athlete um, alongside my training and then had nearly three years out actually uh, just doing triathlon and then went back to work, finished my training. I'm now retired from triathlon, um, still doing crazy stuff, but work, yeah, work as an oncologist and then spend a lot of time uh, doing charity stuff, supporting people with cancer to be active. Um, mm. So that's me in a nutshell. Bit Amazing. Of a what a story. <laughs> what a story. Great. Uh, you you mentioned your charity. Do you want to tell us about that? How you know how did you come to do that, and what's been happening in that? Yeah, so I um I helped to lead Move Charity, which we're actually rebranding as Move Against Cancer. Um, so Move Move Charity was founded in 2012 by an amazing lady called Gemma who'd had cancer herself, right. and Gemma was a runner, and when she was going through her treatment, she wasn't given any support to get active any advice any guidance about how she could get back into running so she had this vision of what she'd finished her treatment um of, of supporting people with the guidance that she didn't have um so she founded move charity at the end of 2016 and i met Gemma about a year later um and i remember very clearly my so i i guess i'd because of my background i'd intuitively it felt like exercise should be a good thing for for people with cancer i'd seen it with friends who were depressed the difference that it can make and i know the difference it makes to me and to so many other people around me um but i so i'd done a little bit of weeding i'd realized that actually there was a bit of evidence around around that to support that um but the the thing that i remember it so clearly one one young man who really triggered me to do what i do now um he was about 20. He'd been theoretically cured of a, a very rare brain tumor and a, a germ cell tumor in, in the brain. And I I'd, I'd hadn't treated him. I was a registrar. I'd just been asked to go and see him to give him a prescription. Um, 
And I walked on to the Teenage Cancer Ward and met him and started chatting to him. And as I said, he'd been cured of his cancer, but in the process, he had lost most of his friends. He'd lost his job. He was spending all day awake, uh, sorry, all day asleep and all night awake playing computer games and put on several stone in weight. And I just remember so clearly walking away and thinking, what is the point of curing people if that's the life that, that they're left with? Um, and I loved Park Run, which which runs free weekly 5Ks across the country. So I just had an I, you know, I had this idea, well, maybe we could try and get group of young people to to get together every three months um and and go go and join a park run and there wasn't much support from the hospital so i'd heard about move charity um i reached out to Gemma, um and we had coffee and we we realized that we had this shared vision so that was how kind of 5k your way move against cancer which is one arm of move charity came about um the other main arm is an online um, cancer rehab program for young people um, aged 13 to 30 who've had cancer or have cancer or undergoing treatment um, and that's an eight-week online um, cancer rehab program with a, a trained level four cancer rehab instructor and it's it's so simple but it's so life-changing I think when people finish their treatment they're so often there's so much has been taken away and just having those weekly one-to-one sessions to build, yeah, to build back their fitness and their activity levels, but actually as much as anything to build back their confidence. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not paid by, by by the charity. I It's completely my passion project, but I believe in it with all my heart and I know it's life-changing um, and yeah, I love it. It's sometimes stressful, but I, I, I work part time so that I have time to throw energy into into it. Um, and I know we make a difference, so yeah, <laughs> it's great. Absolutely. You could write that it's it's in every it basically it's everywhere. Um, this org- this organisation is very close to every cancer centre. Is that correct um, across England? Yeah, so we've got um, eighty five groups now. So for the five k your way groups, we've got I think eighty five groups across the UK and Ireland. I mean, as I say, when when Gemma and I started it, we we thought we'd start a local group in Nottingham. But that first day, it was just so uplifting and. Um, and we said, right, let's do it. do it the last Saturday of every month. Um, and I had a bit of a following from triathlon on, on Twitter um, and people started to hear about it and, and more and more people got in touch and, and said, could they start a group? And I think the second group was in Cambridge where I trained in, in the October and then by the January we had eight um, and then 16 and then, and then it kind of just exploded. And, you know, back in the early days, it was... It was Gemma was was paid by the charity. I it was just Gemma and me, and I was phoning, you know, I was chatting to all the ambassadors. So each group's led by volunteer ambassadors, um, and I was chatting to them. I knew them all. It was all felt like it was, you know, this this family that was growing. And now we've just, yeah, we've got we've got far bigger. We've got got a, a team supporting it. Um, but yeah, our goal for Five K Away is to have a group linked to um, every hospital treating cancer in the UK. And I think the the biggest thing, the biggest barrier, I guess, from my point of view is my background, because people think that I talk about exercise because of, you know, because I love running. Um, and secondly, from the 5k your way point of view, because it's linked to park run, people hear the word park run, and they think they have to run it. And that's so far from the truth. So, so we we very much encourage walking or just coming to to volunteer or to watch. Um, in Nottingham, we've got a group of people who 
sometimes do kind of a kilometer, sometimes do the whole thing, sometimes don't do very much at all. We've got this amazing uh, man called Roger. He's just had seven, had his 79th birthday. Um, he walks it with his, his family, jogs across the finish line in kind of an hour and 20. Um, he's got he's got bowel cancer it's not curable um he thinks his this last one was probably his last one but he'll still come out and volunteer and um and when he did it there was a lady called jackie who has walks with crutches and she saw she'd done 1k and then she saw roger and she said well if roger can do it i can so the next one she came back and she did the whole thing um so we've got you know and then, but then the other side this month a, new, a lady came up and I started chatting to her she'd, the first time she'd come round and um, she said oh yeah no I do run but I, I don't normally do 5k's and, and I kind of said oh so you know what kind of distance do you do 2k or something she said oh no 100 miles so in a completely different spectrum but it's all different ages all different backgrounds and that's the the lovely thing about sport that it's a real leveler it doesn't matter how much money you have it doesn't matter what kind of cancer you have it doesn't matter where you live how educated you are you're all just out there doing the same thing and I think for people with cancer being out there around people who get what it's like is is really powerful so there's a, there's a really a lot of things in what you said about um, the you know, people's state of mind their obviously their physical condition getting together to you know, it's a kind of supportive environment where we're all doing this together. I think there's so many things in there which kind of uh, negate this solo trip that most people find themselves in with cancer, which is horribly isolating, and you know they don't feel understood by people and everything, and uh, and up against their whole life being torn to shreds by the by the disease and the treatment. So uh, a marvelous upbeat thing to bring along. Yeah, and I think. Um... I think there is still very much a preconception that if you're living with cancer, you know, that you never see someone living with cancer going and running a marathon on television. Right. You see them very stereotyped. They lose their hair. They're being sick. They're getting weak and frail. And people are living so much longer with incurable cancer, but they have a very, very good quality of life. They might have a very long life with incurable cancer. And I think some of what we do is just break down that taboo and break down that stereotype and the bigger we get the more people there are out there doing their 5ks or their however much or as little as they want to despite their cancer the more we can normalize being active with cancer because the evidence is I mean you know this the evidence is really clear it's safer to be active than it is to be inactive um, but we're not very good as healthcare professionals at, at telling people that and as you guys know, people, when they're diagnosed, want to do anything they can to make themselves feel better. And exercise is one of the few things that's got really good evidence behind it that someone can do to, at the very least, make themselves feel better, but perhaps also improve their, their kind of response to treatments and outcomes. Yeah. Um, so I feel very strongly that everyone diagnosed with cancer should be given that information um, because then they can make a decision as to whether they want to do anything with that information. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's great to hear. That's great yeah. to hear you talking about evidence-based um, because it is, and, and, and we know the evidence around exercise and cancer and how it improves outcomes. And you may know one of my main interests is in interpretive oncology, so bringing together what we do traditionally in, in yeah. 
strategy, but also having that extra conversation about lifestyle modification and exercise is a big part of it. Um, but unfortunately, only a few oncologists um, and other cancer specialists speak to the patients about this. And I'm wondering what your views are about why why is that happening or what do we need to do to change that mindset? Um, yeah, so I think I think in the NHS people are um, limited with time, which which plays into it. I think consultations are are rushed. I think in terms of exercise, particularly, um, there's a big barrier because most most healthcare professionals being active isn't part of their life. Um, exercise isn't part of their life. So if it's not part of your life then it's quite natural that you're going to think the last thing someone with cancer wants to do is is be told that that they should exercise. I would counter that and say, well, actually, people with cancer want to know what they can do to help themselves, and exercise is one of those. Um, and I think with all, you know, all aspects, other, you know, all the other holistic aspects that, that we could talk about, it's, it's not taught in medical school. The <laughs> people aren't, People don't understand necessarily. I think I think it's 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 education is probably the biggest thing. And and I would say if 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 all the nurses understood that, for example, and I'll talk about exercise because that's kind of my my passion, that that was something that that could help patients, they'd probably feel more comfortable about about doing it. Um, but yeah, so I guess it's education feeling because it's not part of their life that it's not the right thing to do and people won't want to hear that um and probably a little bit of time that was a lot of waffle (laughs) it's it's interesting with exercise i mean that the the concept that exercise is great for people with cancer is relatively new isn't it i mean it's sort of come from left field out of nowhere suddenly you know the the old advice of just like lying around doing nothing um was well, it's still you know pretty common currency until very recently, and still it hasn't really, as you say, taken the idea that uh, quite the opposite is true. It's quite a hike to go from thinking that people with cancer need to, to rest to thinking they do better if they exercise. But um, uh, so so yeah, I just feel it, it's quite an interesting thing for both for uh, professionals and the public to take on board, but. Uh, I agree um, absolutely that in the old days, rest is best. That was what people used to say. Mm. And that is still perpetuated. And I, I always say if I'm doing a talk to healthcare professionals um, about how you can start the conversation, I say the, the the most important thing to do is just give people permission. Because so often when they're diagnosed with cancer, they or more often actually I would say their loved one feels that the best thing is for the person who has cancer to rest. And so they do everything for them. They tell them, you know, they make their cups of tea. They make do the washing up. They do, and, and actually, if you just give permission, if you just say, you know, it's okay to be active. It's okay to go out for a walk. It's okay to do what you normally do. In fact, being active, getting some exercise, getting some fresh air, going out for walks is probably the best thing that you can do sometimes just giving permission and it's so often when you say that and people say oh I didn't I I thought I thought he should I thought he should rest all the time so if that's the very least that you can do just give permission and and you know kind of put aside the myth that that they need to rest 
Yeah, very important. <laughs> anyway, I think, uh, you know, the thing with exercise, you've got all those kind of psychological, emotional benefits that you've already described to it, but then it has this sort of hardcore evidence uh, to, around the effect it can have on your prognosis, basically, on, on the the way you go through treatment and the effect of the treatment, all sorts of things. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so I think um, I think we have to be a bit careful about what we know for sure and what uh-huh. we expect and what we'll probably know in 10 years' time. Um, so we know for sure that it makes people feel better, it reduces anxiety and depression. We know it's the best treatment for, for cancer-associated fatigue, which is a really common thing, and that's, that's very counterintuitive if you're tired to be told uh-huh. that exercise is probably the best thing, but that's that's pretty well established. Um, and we know it improves health-related quality of life. So those are those are all facts. It makes people feel better. Um, I would argue probably if that's all it did, if you had a pill that did all of that, it'd probably tell everyone to take it. So it's still a good thing. Um, but there's actually now accumulating evidence that it does a lot more than that and that it reduces the risk of, of your cancer coming back, that it might improve the response rates to your treatment. So there's some quite neat um, studies where if you put, for example, um, a mouse on a treadmill just before their chemotherapy, they get a better response to their chemotherapy and the same with radiotherapy. So so there's some evidence that it doesn't just kind of make you feel better, but it actually improves how well your treatment works, possibly reduces the side effects from treatment, um, possibly reduces the, the kind of dose reductions that people need to have if they're struggling with side effects. Um, and obviously, the longer people live with advanced cancer, and particularly on on toxic drugs, the more um, secondary kind of illnesses, comorbidities, what we'd say people can get, so cardiovascular disease, etc. Um, and there's pretty good evidence that exercise is, is a good way to mitigate some of the long-term consequences of cancer treatment. Um, so right now, we can say it definitely makes people feel better. Um, and probably it does a lot more than that. I suspect in 10 years' time, we'll have really good evidence that it is actually uh, a really important adjunct to cancer treatment. We've seen some studies um, with um, patients who haven't had the tumours removed and they have had neoadjuvant chemotherapy, for example, and those patients who were given like a structural exercise program had a better response. So it's it's we can see it in, in, in live patients as well of, of the effect of exercise in improving outcomes. Absolutely. And, and I think at the moment there are lots of small studies that are all pointing the same way, but we don't have the massive phase three randomized studies that you'd want for a drug to kind of prove it definitively. But all the evidence is pointing the right way. And I would come back to it probably does a hell of a lot more than reduce tiredness and, and improve mood and make you feel better. But actually, even that, if that's all it does, it's still a good thing. Um, and I think one of the biggest things I see in people who've not been active and 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 become more active, and I'm cautious to use with exercise because I think that's a lot intimidating, quite can be quite intimidating to a lot of people because exercise for me is very different to exercise for you, mm. which would be very different to exercise for some people. Um, but just moving, kind of moving within your normal life. Um, but one of the big things that I see is that uh, people tell me it gives them back a sense of control because they know that it's something they're doing when they're going on the walk. They know they're doing something that's going to make a difference 
And cancer doesn't give you, you know, it takes away a lot of control. And that alone is a very powerful kind of motivator for a lot of people. Mm, definitely. You know, I think, uh, you know, you pointed there that all your uh, probabilities and things like that, uh, they're not good enough, uh, as you say, if it's a toxic drug, you need proper trials for it. But for something that's uh, not going to do any harm and is free, um, it's a pretty good reason to do it when the chances that it may well do some of those things. Uh, you know, it's in a different league, mm. I think. Yeah, I agree. But it's finding ways to, firstly, to have that conversation with, with people who are diagnosed and their families and then finding ways to make it accessible to, to everybody, not intimidating. And uh, that's, you know, a, again, even with the, you know, with the studies, what kind of, you know, exercise, what is exercise? What do we mean by exercise? Do we mean doing short, high intensity kind of one minute efforts? or do we mean going for a run or actually do we mean just moving in your normal life and doing a bit of gardening and hoovering etc so there's a big uh, you know I guess exercise it's like chemotherapy with our hundreds of different types of chemotherapy right um but I I would say right now I don't think we need to get too bogged down with the details um I think get the low-hanging fruit um and giving people right. permission I right. think is a really good first step so can I ask you what you do what exercise? With your patients. Oh no! No, with your patients. Say you don't want. What do you? Do? You don't want to know about mine. <laughs> no, I, I'm interested in what you tell your patients and how you advise them. Um, so I would, I would always have a conversation along the line in their first, the first time I meet them, actually, because I, um, I actually find it's a really positive thing to do to end the conversation. Um, and people, a lot of people would say, well, it's not the right time in the first consultation, but actually. When you try it, I feel like I feel it is because it's giving a little bit of control back to them. And I've told them that they've got cancer. I've talked about the treatment. I've gone through all the side effects. And then I would have a conversation around the lines of um, it's okay to, to stay active. It's okay to get out and get fresh air. I mean, it obviously depends on their background. If I was talking to someone like me, I'd be much more kind of, <laughs> uh, what's the word? Yeah, I'd, I'd phrase it very differently to someone like me compared to someone who actually, you know, walking to the corner shop is is quite big. But I would I would certainly give guidance that being active is is a really good thing to do. Um, and also also in that conversation, have a, a conversation about the importance of continuing to see friends, continuing to see things that do things that make them happy. Um, I would probably have a conversation about not getting too bogged down in diet and trying to eat a, a, a healthy diet, but it's okay to have treats. Um, it's okay to have the odd glass of wine or, or whatever they normally drink. Because again, I think a lot of people feel that they need to cut out all the things that, that they would normally do. Um, yeah, so I'd probably spend a few minutes just talking about living life and ways that they can can do that. And, and I guess trying to pick up on any any preconceived ideas that they've got in their head about about what may or may not help. Well, it's interesting to you find that's useful right right at the beginning. As you say, most people would think that you need to say that for a bit later, but actually giving people something uh, to to get engaged with you like right at the beginning rather than just all the bad news, I can see that's a good move. And I think, yeah, I think that, you know, I always think about, I think about our consultations and, 
people are terrified when they meet us. They, they've got no idea what to expect. They may expect much worse news than we're giving them. They may expect much better. Um, but assuming that, that I'm talking to them about treatment, I'm going to have gone through a long list of side effects, which are terrifying. I'm going to give them loads of information um, that, again, is terrifying. We know that people leave consultations and they remember tiny, tiny fractions of what we've actually talked about. Um, so I, I feel like if you can have a conversation about the importance of living life, and that's, you know, yes, exercise is one way that you can do that, but just being able to still use you've got cancer, but you can still live an active and fulfilling life around that and finding out what matters to them. I think that's the most important thing. What matters to them, to for them to stay happy despite whatever they're going through. Um, and it may be playing a violin. It might be going for a run. It might, I don't know what it is. It might just, it might, so many people think they can't see their grandchildren. Um, and it's amazing how many people think that the infections risks are too high and that they can't see their grandchildren. And if you don't, if you don't find that out, then they may cut themselves off without, and you never realize until five months down the line. Right. Um, good point. Very good point. And uh, I find that if, if, if I don't do it in the first consultation for whatever reason, they tend to come back on a second with the list of questions. Can I do this? Can I do that? And then, you know, people are realizing they can, they can do this. They can, they can cope with the treatment and they can actually do the stuff they like to do at the same time. So they, as you say, they want more control. So yeah. let's introduce the conversation when, you know, earlier on, I think, as you say. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So could we talk a little bit about uh, prehabilitation? That's like a word that's banded around a lot these days uh, about getting ready for treatment and how this can actually improve people's journey through it. Is this something you, you engage with at all? Is it something you'd recommend? Yes. So we've got, um, just recently actually, probably a year and a half, um, a prehab service for, right. for people with cancer in, in Nottingham. Um, it's a brilliant service. Um, so there's, yeah, there's very good evidence um, that uh, if you're having, particularly, I think the main evidence is actually for surgery. Um, and again, it's common sense. So <laughs> if you're going to have big surgery, the fitter you are before your surgery, um, the, the more likely you are to recover quickly. But um, what surprised me when I, I started looking into it was actually you don't need to do that much uh, exercise for that long to make quite a big difference in your fitness. So for lung cancer, I think there was a study showing that if you do just two weeks of prehabilitation, so kind of structured supervised exercise, um, the way they assess your fitness is how far you can walk in six minutes. And just those two weeks in people who had a very low baseline level of fitness was enough to massively increase your six minute walk distance. And that then translated into something like, a, I can't remember off the top of my head, but two days less in hospital, less time with the chest strain, fewer complications. Wow. So I was blown away by how little exercise you actually Ugh. need to do if you've got a very low base fitness to make quite a big difference. Um, so yeah, there's there's very good evidence. And I think a lot of centers now across the UK are, are incorporating prehab um, as a standard of care to people um, who are about to have cancer surgery. We've actually, I treat testicular cancer and for the people who've got really advanced testicular cancer, um, they tend to get about 
seven months of really intensive chemotherapy whilst they're in hospital. So we've uh, managed to persuade the prehab team in Nottingham that they'll accept these patients and offer them um, prehab whilst they're having this really tough chemotherapy. And they're not going to build their fitness because we're giving them really, really tough treatment. But hopefully we can just stop them deteriorating quite as much as they would do normally. And actually one of the things the guys say is that it's quite nice having something structured to do when they're because they're going in and they're in hospital for weeks at a time and and then out and it's it's something you know it's something fun to break up the day that's a bit different to just being stuck up to chemotherapy so yeah yeah it's really exciting prehab and 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 the nhs seems to be endorsing that and financing it as well which is good that's brilliant that's brilliant and we are seeing more and more patients um you know tracking their, their fitness as well. I don't know when what's your experience with people using wearables and with our new um, the digitalization and the new electronic health systems. We are able to actually see all that change, the physiological change. What what's your experience? So I don't that? have much use much experience actually with patients. Um, certainly, I haven't done any studies and and haven't kind of got personal experience of that. Um, I think wearables can be. They're definitely two-sided, so they can be really, really positive, um, and they can be a massive motivator. But they can also, so if you're tracking your heart rate, for example, chemo puts that all over the place, as does the cancer. And I think so, I have seen some patients become quite anxious because their heart rate has has changed so much and become so much higher or so much more um, kind of fluctuates more compared to normal. So. Um, yeah, I think they're they're definitely a really powerful motivator and could be. Um, but I, I guess there are a little bit of some for some people. You just want to to avoid kind of over medicalizing uh, things, and I think that depends on the personality. You know, it's the same. I see it in triathlon. Some people use them, and they you know they wake up and they look at their watch to tell them whether they've had a good night's sleep. And you don't need a watch. <laughs> you know whether you've had a good night's sleep. Um, so you know there's. There's a spectrum of athletes, and I'm sure there's the same in a, a spectrum of you know people diagnosed with cancer. Certainly, hmm. yeah. makes sense. So uh, uh, obviously, you know, what all the all the talk these days. I'm not sure about the action, but the talk is in the direction of kind of getting the population more healthy, so that they are less likely to get diseases like cancer. And if they do, they will fare better anyway. And like having a better baseline. Um, so uh, exercise is very much part of any kind of prevention program. And, uh, you know, the, it's it's nice to see that exercise has this consistency where it's good for you before you get an illness, it's good for you while you've got one, it's good after you've had one as well. So it, it's a consistent uh, message all the way through. Um, are you uh, hoping to make any difference in the area of prevention? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think <laughs> I said to my partner, I went to, um, we went to Tenerife, I think, and um, we were on the bus waiting for everyone to get off the plane. And um, it actually made me really sad looking at, because I think that's kind of a representative population of the UK, how many people who weren't old who were really struggling to get up and down the steps or get off this plane. And that was just, they didn't have it, they weren't ill. That was just their baseline level of fitness. And, I, you know, you go to conferences and, and, and people from other European countries will say, 
to be fair, guys, you know, I was at the sarcoma conference and 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 the surgeon from Italy said, um, you guys have a hard, far harder time because you're working with people with a population that's far less fit. Um, and yeah, I'd love to change it, but I don't think I'm the right person actually because, you know, I'm a convert. I, 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 my background as an athlete is probably quite intimidating um, to most people. So I, I'm not sure I'm the best person to to try and spread <laughs> that message. Inspiring, also, though, of course, because as you say, you just picked this up. It wasn't like uh, you know you're manic athlete all through your life. No, um, yeah. There is um, there's a very interesting stat that if you, it's actually far easier to get people to exercise than it is to stop smoking. So I think to stop smoking, it's something like you have to talk to, I can't remember, but something like 40 patients to get one patient to stop smoking. Whereas the same number to get them to meet the minimum recommended weekly activity levels is 12. So it's actually a relatively easy win compared to, compared to smoking. Um, but again, it's finding ways to normalize it. And sometimes the word exercise can be a bit intimidating, but you know, walking into work, if you've got a mile and a half to drive, that's a great way to, to do it. Um, but again, the UK is just not particularly well set up for, for self-powered transport. But do you think that, um, there will be some point where, you know, the clinical community need to drive this forward, isn't it? At the end of the day and learning from other countries where the the written policies about it and how much people should be exercising or aiming to do physical activity. Do you think we can get into that stage of maybe having, you know, an oncology group or working group or some sort of a guideline endorsed by, I don't know, by our Royal College, maybe? Um, I mean, I'd love to say yes. I guess our guidelines a guideline and a guideline is only helpful if it translates into change um i think i think that so the nhs population if i do a talk to 20 nurses and i would ask them how many people exercise three times a week for 30 minutes pretty much every time two people sometimes three would put up their hands so that shows how few people how few healthcare professionals actually you know, exercise regularly. So I, I wonder if that's the biggest win actually, um, trying to make ways for, because it's hard if you're working in the NHS, you don't get a lunch break. There's chocolates around everywhere. You're kind of on your feet all day. You're knackered at the end of your shift. It's, it's a big thing to, to then kind of find a way to, particularly if you've got kids to be active. Um, so I would love to have a world in the NHS where people had a lunch hour and they could go and do a 20 minute, you know, group session or 20 minute group walk or whatever, and then eat their lunch and be happier and healthier. And if I can make, if I, other than move against cancer, if I had a second kind of passion project, that would be my passion project, make working life better in the NHS so that people got breaks, whether they could be active within their working day. Um, and I think that would be, that would make such a difference to the well-being, um, and probably would then translate into patients being given better advice and and etc. Because the people, because so I the people always um, so my office is on an admin corridor, and I love it because there's no doctors, um, but 
<laughs> a lot of people will come and tell me about how they started walking to work and um and they're like oh it's changed my life it's so much i feel so much better because i walk half an hour every day now or half an hour each way and it's so it's so it really makes me happy um but i think exercise if it's not part of your life the only way it's the only way it's going to become part of your life is by doing it and realizing how much happier it can make you and finding a way that it doesn't take away other stuff and that would be a way you know kids have exercise classes at school just having lunch breaks where you could you had time to go outside would be i think it would be transformational but hmm. <laughs> looking after our staff or looking after our patients yeah. absolutely yeah absolutely i think you're absolutely right though the, the to you need to experience the benefits yourself before you become a, a real salesman for something uh, you need to be able to, be able to say firsthand. Mm, yeah. So, yeah, I think you're exactly right. It would be a massive win if we could make that change. And, uh, yeah, it's a matter of the, the NHS actually offering that to their staff and it becoming a thing that they do uh, rather than the thing they try and fit in around the back if they're motivated to. It could be part of the culture. Yeah, but, yeah. It, is, it would be a big change, but um, I, I I believe so much. I, people will be, you know, if I work from home for a day, like doing the charity stuff, I'm so much more effective if I've had a proper break in the middle of the day. Um, so I, I think it would take away time, but it would actually improve productivity. But it's a big cultural shift to do. Fun. But, you know, Fun. maybe one day, maybe one day we can, can make that change. <laughs> I think that's a very positive message. Um, we can do that. <laughs> okay well look we're going to have to leave it there uh thanks so much lucy been really interesting to talk about uh your passion for exercise and uh, i hope that some of your ambitions actually do turn out to be for real we desperately need that resource for people with cancer i feel and uh you're right we need it for our nhs staff too yeah, well, thank you very much for yeah. Thanks for very, for inviting me on. I always always love talking about what I believe in, and um, right. yeah, if anyone's listening who's a bit intimidated by by joining a five k a week group, please don't be. You can just turn out and have a coffee. You don't need to do any walking. Certainly, don't need to do any running, um, and you'll definitely be welcomed wherever you are. No much, Lucy. Fantastic. Thanks, Lucy. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to Cancer Talk. Do subscribe and look out for the next edition of our podcast. And if you have friends and colleagues interested in the development of UK cancer care, do pass on the details of Cancer Talk. Goodbye. <laughs>